Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're rounding up some headlines that caught our attention this week. Uh, everything from bridges catching fire to the police not fully investigating DUIs. So joining us on the show is Willamette Week City Hall reporter Sophie Peel and our lead producer, John Otariani. It's Friday, March 17th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Okay, so one question before we talk about uh, the most interesting headlines this week is, uh, I really want to know, I want to know what restaurants you guys miss most that have closed. I'm a square and I almost rare, like never eat out. So I'm probably not the best person to ask. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. You know what, Sophie? (laughs) That's really anticlimactic. No, but really this question is to... (laughs) I go to Freddy's and buy my groceries. (laughs) (laughs) Really? So you don't ever eat out? See, that in itself is fascinating. I do occasionally. I do occasionally, but they're all still open. (laughs) Oh, really? Which ones do you go to? Um, you uh, like Danny's, oh, the, um, Red Robin. <laughs> hot, hot yai is a favorite of mine. Oh, hot yai's is great. Yeah, the fried oh, chicken. Uh, uh-huh. That's really find good. me there, John. What about you? <laughs> what restaurant has uh has left a hole in your heart? Uh, I've been thinking about the Beach Street Parlor, oh, uh, which was this little like restaurant and bar off of MLK and on Beach Street, of course. And it was one of those spots that was built into a house. Oh, that place was so, so great. You'd like have music and they'd have DJs and they had food. I used to DJ just, there. Did you? Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to say, and it was always the coolest DJs, Aww. which is clearly why you were there. But I have, I have heard rumors. I have heard rumors that it might be reopening in a new iteration soon. That would be amazing. Those sisters are amazing. Yeah. Well, my, uh, the restaurant I miss, and I, I mean this on the daily, uh, is The Overlook. I don't know if you guys ever mm. heard of that. It's a, mm-hmm. um, it was like off Skidmore and Interstate in North Portland, and it was like run by a Greek immigrant, and it was open for like so long, like seventy four, closed in twenty eighteen. Uh, yeah, it, I don't, I just can't explain how amazing that restaurant was. Like, did you guys ever? I mean, Sophie, I know you did not go, but uh, nope, <laughs> I, I did. But you, you went, right? Like, could you kind that of explain the vibe? Um, that place was amazing. It was like, it was like a crazy giant Denny's, but they had like fireplaces inside, yeah. right? I remember at one point I'd, I'd worked either super, super late. I think I'd worked an overnight shift and I met up with a friend for breakfast there at like six in the morning. And it was, oh yeah, that place was. Yeah. Everyone has overlooked stories. And what I loved is you go in and you just see all walks of life. Like it was definitely kind of made to be a trucker stop you know, like available to mm-hmm. truckers, but like everybody was there. But I'm just like, I miss Overlook. But uh, yeah, well, guys, thanks for uh, hanging with me on that one. Uh, Sophie, why don't you go first? I'd love to hear uh, the headline that caught your attention this week. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think everyone wrote about this because it it's, was sort of a sensational headline and probably got a lot of clicks. But um, last week, firefighters responded to an on ramp of the steel bridge um, on the west side, and you know there was smoke seeping out of uh, the creases of of the cinder blocks that kind of form the base of the on ramp. And, you know, they sledgehammered in, they created two massive holes, and they found, you know, a number of homeless camps underneath the the on-ramp that was basically surrounded by cinder blocks. And uh, one person who was living under there, they were admitted to the hospital for smoke inhalation, they were found unconscious. I actually don't know how that person's doing. Um, But yeah, it was just, you know, it was was bizarre. It, I mean, the pictures of it are, it just looks like a kind of an underground world. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it made head, I mean, everyone wrote about it. I'm sure, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Fox news wrote about it. Cause like sometimes they pick the worst things ever that happen in Portland <laughs> yeah. and they're like, it's a Portland thing. Yeah. Tunnels. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it kind yeah, of is though. Yeah. I mean, they got us like tunnels are kind of yeah. a Portland thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the most interesting thing, I, I mean, the pictures in of themselves were like, uh, whoa, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, it really is, you know, it's one of those things like you, you walk by there and you just never, you know, you never think about it. It's like, why would you? Mm-hmm. Um, but what the fire bureau was saying is that, you know, the, the city's going to start looking at other on ramps to see if similar things are, are happening. Yeah. Do they know what started that fire? I mean, I, I don't know. I know there were remnants of, you know, cooking fires and I don't know about heating fires, but I, I would imagine something like that. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I mean, we know that, especially in recent years, like the number, half the fire, almost half the fires that firefighters respond to in this city are what they call homeless-related fires. So either adjacent to or started by a cooking fire or a warming fire. Um, so, you know, that's like a, half a firefighter's job these days is oh responding God. to those fires. And they can be really, you know, they can be really deadly. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about uh, fires, and especially fires at homeless camps across the city. And Obviously, this is a sort of sensational, strange version of it, where it's in this tunnel underneath uh, a really notable part of Portland. But like you're saying, I mean, it, it's a huge issue and, and and the city is aware of it. You know, um, I'm thinking about the policies that have been discussed recently about uh, tents and about trying to stop handing out tents and handing out tarps to homeless people. Mm-hmm. Then the reason that city government has been giving for that change in policy is because they want to stop fires, um, which, like, to me, sort of goes both ways. Shows that this really is a big issue, but that um, is it tense you know, though. Maybe, like, what's catching? But, you know what I mean? Because what exactly, we just discussed yeah. was an entire bridge on fire, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. was it because there was tents inside this bridge, or you know, I feel like. You're living outside. Yeah, probably not a tent. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. living outside and you're cooking outside and maybe you're not um, in your right mind or you're not paying it. You know, something's happening. I can imagine that could start a fire. But I don't know, Sophie. I mean, I don't know if the stats actually went in and were just like, these were started by tents. I, I can imagine that something would have to catch fire. Um, and if that's all they have, like, that's probably what's going to catch fire. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things can catch fire, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, and I guess statistically speaking, it would likely be a tent or a tarp, but you know, you're right. If you're, if you're high or if, you know, if you're whatever, and you have a big coat on that can catch mm-hmm. fire, you might not notice. I mean, who knows? And I don't, I don't know if there are statistics about where exactly, like what exactly caught fire that led to these injuries. I have, I have no clue, but, um, you know, I think it's also interesting. The fire bureau has really kind of struggled with what to do about the fires themselves because they understand that people light these fires to either A, cook food, or to warm themselves. 
So they're not particularly, um, you know, they don't really crack down on the fires themselves. So it's interesting that what they go to is sort of like, you know, one step removed from the fire and that they're trying to eliminate like the thing that might be catching fire or might not be catching fire rather than the fire itself. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of policy is created that way is just like, okay, it's the let's take away the tangential thing that is closest to the problem rather than the root of why they need to be starting all these fires. You know, I think that's a really, really uh, valid point. I thought when I, I just saw the pictures and what I thought that I thought it was underground, but no, you guys, it's in the bridge. Like it's in the base of the bridge. Mm -hmm. It's not really underground, is it? It's like floor level, but just inside the bridge. That's that's my understanding. The pictures are a little confusing, but... Um, I'm kind of impressed. Like that's a lot of brick and cement or whatever they're making that bridge out of to like... It also makes sense though. Like if I were homeless and I were living adjacent to the bridge and I could find my way into a place that actually had a roof, and like probably, you know, protect you from, it's a windbreaker. Yeah. I'm sure it acted as a windbreaker. I don't know. Like mm -hmm. if I were resourceful enough, I'd think I'd do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a way to sort of create a, a permanent or semi-permanent home in a city that increasingly is hostile to people that are out in public view. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. I, t I, I thought I was just going to be, you were going to be like, there was a fire in the bridge, but then you have to connect all these pieces. Um, mm -hmm. Well, so my headline this week is, uh, it's a story that comes from Amelia Templeton, uh, who's this really smart uh, health reporter from OPB. And right now she's mm -hmm. doing a series uh, about the biggest social and economic challenges facing Oregon. So uh, the article that Amelia put out this Wednesday, she pointed out that though illegal substances are part of like our state's general addiction problem, that when it comes like to the end part of the stats, like well, what's the biggest killer? Um, it's, it's actually alcohol. And I, I know I've heard that, like, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, the secret killer because in our society and in our culture, it's so, ex it's just so accepted. I don't know, like, here are the stats. Mm -hmm. On average, six people die each day in Oregon from alcohol-related issues. Uh, and that includes, like, drunk driving, you know, acute alcohol poisoning. But those are just a small fraction. The majority are to the, like, the long-term effects that grow that are probably growing in our bodies right now, whoever's drinking, uh, which includes like alcoholic liver disease, heart disease, and cancer. That kind of like shocked me a little just because my, just coming from like where I come from with like bands and stuff, like alcohol is fun and it's, and it's kind of, it's a party. I still feel like I'm 20, you know, in a way I'm not drinking every night, mm -hmm. but there's something to me that it's so inoffensive and so innocent. Yeah. I mean, Gosh, I, I feel that so hard. I mean, I was a bartender for many mm -hmm. years. And like, I definitely feel that most of the people coming in were exactly what you're saying, Claudia, that it was a place to celebrate, that it was a way to connect with people. And I think that that's all really true. But you also would occasionally see people where you're just like, are, are you doing okay? Are, are, are you doing all right? Like, are you sure you want to be here right now? And I think the thing that's tricky and like why it's so surprising is that it can be so invisible, you know? Mm -hmm. That like for people who do have a problem, it's not like some sort of like cartoon, uh, you know, melodramatic thing. It's that like there are a lot of people who have real problems with alcohol that are totally functional, that are going about our, their daily lives, that are in our lives. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm sure that we all know somebody who like has stopped drinking and you're just like, oh, you just have no idea that that person yeah. um, 
had had uh, even even difficulty with it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think, think alcohol is like so embedded in our like social mm-hmm. fabric, and it's still kind of a cool thing. Yeah, you know, like if you go to a bar and get a glass of wine, it's you know, it's not like you're it's it's not the same stigma. I mean, there's no stigma. There's like None. a positive stigma yeah. associated with it rather than if you were to go to a bar and like pull out a little bit of meth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a little you bit. You know, I mean, bit, yeah. right. And and a lot of people like survive on alcohol, honestly, to be social, which which sounds kind of a bummer, but like it does make you more fun sometimes. No, well, Sophie, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I living alone because my partner's like going to school in a different state. And so um, in order for me to see other people at the end of a long work day, I have to go to where the people are and they are at a wine bar. They are at a bar. And as of late, I'm just like, you know, I don't always have to come here and get a drink. It's like not necessary, you know, whenever I'm out. So I started doing that and I just, re- I realized I was like, oh, I was just drinking because it was like a, a custom, you know, like I sit mm-hmm. here and, mm-hmm. but I was like, but there's so many non-alcoholic choices and I can also do that. And guess what? I'm still hanging out with my friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the little secret, like, or the, I think you said, John, that it, it was like almost an invisible, uh, issue, uh, that we don't talk mm-hmm. enough about, um, something that, uh, the chief executive of behavioral health for, uh, Providence, the, the doctor basically stated like alcohol is the great dirty little secret of the pandemic, basically stating the pandemic mm. kind of really increased something that was already an issue. And I I'm sure. have to yeah. agree that I started drinking a lot more after the pandemic. I think all our vices came to the forefront during COVID. Yeah, though. like I, mean, I, I don't, same, I don't think totally. that was. Yeah. I think alcohol is just one of the more accessible ones because it it can be cheap. You know, you don't have to buy nice alcohol. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can get you know three buck chuck at Trader Joe's mm-hmm. and have a fun night. But um, I remember when it was two buck chuck. <laughs> uh, it was before my time. <laughs> oh, okay. Not to make you feel old, but <laughs> Sophie. I know. No, you you look very young. Maybe I was drinking when I was 16, Sophie. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, the thing that also that I really enjoyed about this article was that um, it didn't just state the problem. It also was like, and here are some reasons why. Uh, Amelia noted a lack of public detox and treatment programs as a significant factor as to why Oregon might be one of the worst in the United States. Because it's not like, of course, just us. But she's stating that it's harder for uh, substance abuse uh, for people to gain to get uh, help here, which I didn't know, and I think a lot of it is because here's the deal. And this is like I was again, I was like, oh my god, this makes so much sense. Our alcohol is really cheap, right? I just I actually remember a statistic for that came out that we saw last week that we are the 45th um, in terms of the cost of beer in the country. So we are like in the bottom five of like. The cost of beer. Yeah. yeah, which is why when people from New York come, they're like, I'm sorry, how much for this lager? You know, <laughs> yeah. we're just like, yeah, welcome to Portland. But um, <laughs> but so, uh, you know, one one strategy that she discussed was that we actually maybe start taxing alcohol. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Like if all of a sudden a, a, a pint of beer was like 12 bucks, like how it is in other states, you know? Kind of all four vice taxes, actually. I, th- I think that that is like maybe an unpopular position, but like, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. My one concern, like, I think I'd be in support of it, but that's also because like I, the only thing I enjoy drinking is wine. I wouldn't be affected by it, but I do wonder, like, I think when you're an addict, price doesn't matter mm-hmm. and and you're going to buy it anyways when you have an addiction. And like, especially for people who... Like that might send more people into like economic hardship if they're going to buy it anyways. And now they're paying double what they would have paid before. You know, I just wonder if it would sort of compound the issues for the people Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. But I don't know. I don't so know. here's the deal is that um, the, feder- the federal government actually conducted some research on what you just stated, and they actually found strong evidence that taxes do curb drinking because they've actually curbed smoking. But again, is it correlated mm-hmm. to people just realizing like, oh, crap, this is going to give me cancer? Like it was a it's, it was a cultural social shift where we're just like, oh, smoking is not good for us. On top of that, here's this tax. So is it a correlation or was it the tax, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think mm-hmm. it's also a question of like, let's say we do raise those taxes and try and put them into substance abuse prevention and treatment. Like we just saw through the implementation of Measure 109, which was the bill that decriminalized a whole bunch of illicit drugs in Oregon that was supposed to, uh, you know, put more money into and create more treatment options. The state was really, really slow on getting those treatment options up and going. And I feel like it's still a mixed bag in terms of how much there is. So, I mean, I just want to point out that, like, we do not have a good track record of, like, building in these support services when we say we're going to. Yeah. Well, one last thing I'll say before uh, we get to your headline, uh, John, is that uh, Representative Tana Sanchez, she actually in 2021 attempted to pass like a tax in- increase and it was Oregon's it was Oregon beer and wine. So wine would be affected. Um, they they yeah, I'm sorry, Sophie. Ch- you can change your answer now that you know that your wine's going to get more expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scrap it. <laughs> She's just drinking White Claw from now on. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's going to be, dude, anything with alcohol. Uh, <laughs> I love it. You're like, White Claw isn't alcohol. It's it's spicy seltzer. Wait, so there's alcohol in this? <laughs> but um, so, yeah. so the, And it was like knocked down. So who knows? Because I think our industry is pretty strong here. So we'll see what ends up happening. All right. Let's take a break here. When we come back, more headlines of the week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, John, what headline caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, got pretty interested in this article by Noelle Crombie over at The Oregonian uh, talking about uh, intoxicated driving prosecutions. Um, Basically, the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office, the Oregonian got their hands on a memo from them. And it said, I'm just going to quote directly from this memo from the DA, quote, Alarming number of DUIIs that cannot be prosecuted because the police did not attempt to perform any of the routine investigation expected in a DUII crash, such as a breath test or evidentiary blood draw. So basically what it's asserting is that like the Portland police just aren't doing the sort of intoxication tests in, um, you know, basically what this is asserting is one in five stops and that prevents the DA from actually being able to prosecute these uh, people, which, I mean, for me, just raises a whole bunch of questions. But I'm curious what strikes you there. Immediately, you're like, okay, is this is this part of the, like, quote, unquote, you know, quiet quitting of the police? Um, mm. and or, or, like, is this somehow correlated to the fact that they stopped uh, enforcing traffic laws? But to me, I'm just like, this is not a traffic law. This is driving while under the influence, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when we were talking, we, we had uh, Mingus Maps on, he was saying like, hey, if there's more traffic enforcement, we'll be able to focus more on this. But I'm like, but this is not, this is not a lower level offense. 
this is a very high level offense that the police officers should be, you know, paying attention to and, and should be uh, making sure that go through the prosecution process. I think what's so interesting is like I'm I think there's so much rhetoric out there and debate about, you know, a lot of people will say Mike Schmidt's not prosecuting. Mike Mike Schmidt's not prosecuting. He's not prosecuting drug crimes, property crimes, driving crime, whatever. But I think what's so interesting and what I think people don't necessarily connect is like the DA needs evidence that the police like the police conduct the investigation for the most part. And the DA will not go forward with prosecuting something if the police have not basically put together a convincing case. And I think that's something that's kind of missed because cops are the first step. Mm -hmm. Cops are the ones who do the arrest and cops are the one who oftentimes build the case in order to convince the DA, hey, you can prosecute this. And so, you know, at least in the driving impairment, like that, that's, you know, that's, that's what's happening is the cops aren't doing even sometimes it seems like pretty, you know, basic investigation on these impaired drivers Mm -hmm. in order to get it to a place to where the DA can prosecute. Um, What's the end run there? Like, what what are they benefiting from this? And I just want to say that uh, Mike Schmidt is the Multnomah County DA, in in case mm -hmm. you're wondering why you're hearing his name over and over again. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is like part of what's so puzzling to me, like. If, if it was just a situation where they weren't doing the stops, right, if these arrests were not being made, if these traffic stops were not happening, that would sort of fit in line with some of the things that we've heard the city was going to do anyways, that they were going to stop doing certain numbers of traffic stops, they said a couple of years ago. But these stops are happening, right? These people are still getting pulled over. They're still getting arrested. Um, and, you know, like, frankly, like traffic stops are one of the dangerous thing, most dangerous things a police officer can do. Like a police officer is a lot more likely to get hit by another car while doing a traffic stop than in almost any other situation. So the arrests are still happening, but these DUI tests, you know, these, these, uh, blood draws, these breathalyzers aren't occurring. Um, yeah. So for me, it's something that just like raises a lot more questions, um, and I'm I'm hoping to see more reporting on it. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting because our DUIs are a bit like on the higher side. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't know, guys. I'm a little nervous that the police knows this. <laughs> why wouldn't why wouldn't they want the streets to be safer in just in, in that respect? Um, yeah, because I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I I mean, I remember uh, when we had Commissioner Mingus maps on, uh, we discussed like, hey, I know we understand uh, why the police, you know, why the Portland police was just like, hey, we're not going to waste time with these lower traffic enforcements for all the things, you know, like that you said, um, it, it's really dangerous. And also the the sentiment is like less cops because it's so biased when they do pull over anyone. It's usually just like a person of color. And that's been, that's been, that's a factual exactly. mm-hmm. statement. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember uh, Commissioner Maps being like, hey, man, they're, they're brave. That's pretty much what I heard, you know, like they're going to do their jobs. But if they're not, if they're actually doing the most dangerous part of stopping them and then not completing that action. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to say it. It sounds like they're not doing their job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have heard rumors about quiet quitting, about the Portland Police Bureau sort of in protest of of some of the discourse that's been going on of, of trying to consciously do less arrests and like. This one doesn't make sense to me, though, because I think, yeah, go on, you know, like you're right. If they did the hardest part and this is the easiest part, which I I mean, I think it's the easiest part. I think it's a breathalyzer mm-hmm. is what Amelia wrote. But um, 
uh, or sorry, Noel, Noel Groot. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just like, I feel like it, um, I don't know. That doesn't really make sense to me that that's, that would be the part where they're skimping on their job if they're slow walking things. It just doesn't really add up. I don't know. One other thing that did uh, jump out at me that I thought was interesting, which I kind of knew but hadn't like really put numbers behind it, is it also said that there's been this uh, sort of countywide precipitous decrease in misdemeanors being charged. Uh, 12,000 or so in 2019, down to like 4,000 in 2022, um, which again is like just a, a really dramatic statistic. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but I, I hadn't really wrapped my head around those numbers before, and it jumped out at me. Hmm. I mean, I wonder what the lack of resources are at the police department, if it's staffing or because it's definitely not money. They've they've gotten mm-hmm. the largest uh, budget they've ever gotten. Uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm curious. Maybe we should have someone from the police on the show. I mean, I think the police bureau is one of those bureaus that it's really hard to get them on the record about anything that they don't really want to talk about. Well, a new goal, John. Uh, let's let's land uh, someone from the police. <laughs> to me, I'm just like, I'll, 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 hey, John, go for my it. E- my, my, my email fingers are flexing right now. <laughs> yeah. <y'all. laughs> if it happens, Sophie will let you know. And you could, you could send over some questions you, you've been pondering. <laughs> I will. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for, uh, you know, hanging out with me. It's always a pleasure to have you on, uh, Sophie. And of course, John, uh, it's always fun to both be on the mic. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, and, I appreciate it. And welcome back, Claudia, because we missed you. You've you've been out for the last week, I so welcome am. back. Where'd you go? Oh, uh, I was also sick, Sophie, but it wasn't COVID. Oh. It was just it was just a, a really boring head cold of some sort. Mm. I don't know. What if I was just like... I wish it were more exciting. Yeah, if I was just like Bermuda, and you guys were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like it just came out. Like I was like, oops. I mean... <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and hanging out with us this week. Our lead producer is John Otariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Steven Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back in a few days with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs> <laughs>